We're going to stray from the lectionary for a while to explore the core elements of Christianity as presented through this ministry. Jesus never intended his followers to be crushed beneath the weight of an oppressive and dogmatic religion. Criticizing this aspect of Judaism was a large part of his own ministry. Rather, he sought to bring his followers to a deep and personal experience of God and to deepen their fellowship with others and compassion for the world through that experience. Jesus urged his followers to manifest and cultivate God's kingdom within their own hearts and minds so it could manifest in the world through them. It is this understanding of Christ's message as a liberating and fulfilling spiritual way of life that moved me toward the name Emancipated Ministry. As you listen to or read the messages from this ministry, you will find that some ideas diverge from what mainstream churches teach. But remember that Jesus' own teachings diverged from what the mainstream churches of his time taught. I invite you to put everything you hear in this ministry to the test given in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-3. through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I indeed confess that Jesus came in the flesh, that faith and practice built on his teachings and example, manifests Christ's presence in each and every one of us. And that Christ manifests God's kingdom within us and through us. But how blessed were those who lived with Christ in the flesh, who heard his words and witnessed his actions firsthand. They had no reason to believe in God because God was right there with them. They knew God existed. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, Thomas had to touch the wounds inflicted on Jesus to believe. And in verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. We need to have the same level of belief in God as those who spoke and ate with him in the flesh. In order to fully understand the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God, we need to believe to the point of knowing God exists. What has become the mainstream church has failed in this duty. Despite the amazing gift of being able to understand the universe and how it works, a gift derived from the image of God in which we are made, the mainstream church spent centuries suppressing and persecuting science rather than looking how it affirmed God's existence. Even today, the mainstream church and science are locked in a wrestling match that God likely intended as a dance. 
The mainstream church insists on presenting God as something separate from us and the universe and rejects either various aspects or the whole of science. And this presentation leads many scientists to reject the existence of God as taught by the mainstream church. This separating of God from creation is alienating. Who can believe in a God that is separate from them? People cannot connect with a God that seems too far away to ever be felt. It is no wonder more and more people are leaving the dogmatic and unchanging church while more and more people call themselves spiritual but not religious. Now, the mainstream church might see this as a bad thing as they lose control over how people think and as their collection plates get lighter and lighter. As for me, I hope it's a sign of a spiritual awakening, a realization that God is everywhere and in everything, that God is a living thing woven into all creation and in a state of constant revelation we can all experience. People are not abandoning God. They are abandoning a concept of God they cannot connect with, yet mainstream churches insist on as being the truth. They are abandoning a God that is simply beyond belief. Years ago, I had a friend diagnosed with schizophrenia who delighted in agitating his therapists. After getting under the skin of one therapist, the therapist decided to call him crazy. Always the astute debater, my friend asked his therapist if they believed in God. They refused to answer at first, but after some prodding, finally admitted their belief. My friend calmly and contemplatively responded, So, you believe there's a giant man living in the sky, but I'm crazy. It is this very perception of God and others like it that lead people away from believing in God. When a mentally ill person can use the belief in God to rationally defend seeing and hearing all kinds of things that aren't there, it is time to rethink your idea of God. I understand, or at least I hope, most people don't actually think of God as some giant sky man. But saying God is some cosmic spirit that brought our earliest ancestor to life by giving mouth to mouth to a doll it made of dirt does not sound less crazy. It is this perception of God that leads such distinguished scientists as Stephen Hawking to say things like, if you accept, as I do, that the laws of nature are fixed, then it doesn't take long to ask, what role is there for God? Well, Dr. Hawking has his answer now, and I believe he is in greater wonderment and making greater discoveries than he ever did throughout his mortal life. 
For those of us left in the wake of such questions, I offer this answer, and don't worry, you don't need to be any sort of scientist to understand it. The answer is found in the Bible, but you need to understand a connection the mainstream church either isn't making or isn't revealing. Let me begin by pointing out a self-evident truth that all existing things form and function according to consistent principles of order. These principles comprise the formal, natural, and social sciences which shape, animate, and govern the universe and everything therein. The laws of nature, as Dr. Hawking called them. All things are subject to these principles and they are subject even to themselves. They are fixed, as Dr. Hawking states, and they interact with and affect each other. But, in asking what role there is for God, given the existence of these laws, Dr. Hawking is admitting these laws fill the role of God's will. These principles are tantamount to the will of God and thus to the existence of God. In other words, God did not design the universe. God is the design, the ordering principle of the universe. The Gospel of John borrows a term from Stoic philosophy to express this very sentiment, logos. In Stoicism, the logos was the ordering principle, the universal reason for existence, the endless chain of cause and effect going back to the very beginning of creation, and it was synonymous with God. Keeping this in mind, Let's read John chapter 1, verse 1, with this term replacing its original English translation. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. John is explicitly telling us in the opening line of his gospel account that God is the design of the universe. In verse 2, he then writes, He was in the beginning with God. Letting readers know Jesus was the physical embodiment of the Logos. We'll get into what that means in a future message, but for now, let me acknowledge that Jesus was, in fact, the human incarnation of God, the Logos. There is a God, but God did not design the universe Rather, God is the design of the universe. Or can you deny that all things form and function according to consistent principles of order? Can you deny that these principles of order are tantamount to the will of God? And let us remember that God's will and God's existence are synonymous. What's more, all things must emerge from the design of the universe. Or, put into religious terms, God creates all things. And John writes in verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
But why stop here with this concept of God as the design of the universe being the truest understanding of God? Because just as all things must emerge from the design of the universe, so must all things exist within the design of the universe. And in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, verse 28, Paul confirms the idea that all things exist within God by quoting a Greek poet. For in him we live and move and have our being. And just as all things must emerge from and exist within the design of the universe, so must all things contain a portion of the universe's design. There is a piece of God within you, or, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? This is the truth of God, that God is the design of the universe through which all things come into being, to which all things are subject in which all things have existence, and which all things contain a portion of. But this understanding of God may leave some people scratching their heads. After all, the design of the universe does not think or feel. How can the cold and indifferent design of the universe possibly be the kind and loving God Jesus preached and this ministry hopes to reveal to you. Remember that you contain a portion of the universe's design. You have been entrusted with a small piece of God's being, and you are capable of kindness and love. It is through you that God becomes capable of these things. This is the point John is making, and Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 of his gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why it is so important that we live according to God's will. It is through us that God acts, manifesting the divine presence within us and through us, what we call the kingdom of God. This is what most of the Old Testament seeks to convey, God working through the prophets and others to manifest God's kingdom, expressed metaphorically as Israel. That is the story of Jesus, God loving us so much that the divine presence assumed humanity, working through Jesus to teach and show us how to know God through kindness and love because we are the conduits of God's kindness and love. Allowing kindness and love to flow through us, we inspire others to do the same, and the feelings this practice generates can be felt. They become an atmosphere of kindness and love, and in that atmosphere, God comes alive in the kingdom manifests. This is why Jesus tells us to do to others as we would have them do to us, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, 
to forgive our brothers 70 times 7, and to even love the very people who persecute and oppress us, because soaked in this atmosphere of kindness and love, they will feel the divine presence of God. This is the truth of God which Jesus preached and exemplified, that he who was the Logos made flesh proclaimed. God did not reveal himself through Christ in expensive clothes or decked out in jewels. God did not come through Christ bringing fire and brimstone or putting people to the sword. God came and revealed the divine presence through Christ humbly, saying, there is a better way. Let me show you. Understanding and following this better way means knowing there is a God. It means accepting unconditionally the existence of God, that God created you and that you live and move and have being in God. It means knowing God is a part of you, woven into your very being and acts through you. This is a knowing you cannot reach if you think of God as separate from you and the rest of creation. You cannot accept God in a natural world if God feels unnatural. You cannot feel God's presence if you don't know God both surrounds you and fills you. I ask you to reflect on how you think of God and if that concept brings you to the point of believing in God, to the point of knowing God. As for myself, I went from absolute atheism to this idea of God being the design rather than the designer of the universe. I attacked this idea every way I could, but I could not deny the truth that all things form and function according to consistent principles of order. I could not deny the truth that these principles of order are tantamount to the will of God and therefore to the existence of God. Now I still don't believe in God, but in the same way I don't believe in fish or clouds, because there is no reason to believe in something you know to exist. Thank you for listening to the Emancipated Ministry. If you enjoyed this message and found it helpful, please leave a review or comment and be sure to share this message with anyone and everyone who might benefit from it. May God's eternal peace, light, and love be with you. Amen.